at all, but would want to read at least some of the words from John chapter 4, please. We have, as you very well know, I'm sure, four Gospels at the beginning of the New Testament. The first three of those, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, are known as the synoptic Gospels. That really comes as a compound word coming from two others, two others in the Greek, actually. Syn, meaning together, S-Y-N, not, S, not S-I-N, like synagogue and words like that, meaning to come together, and then optic, which means, obviously, to see. Matthew, Mark, and Luke often saw the same things, and therefore you have those things recorded. But John's gospel stands apart. And very often you have within John's gospel things and records that are not recorded in the other three, the synoptics. Here we have one of those. We want to consider some of these words that the, well, really it's containing the whole, concerning the whole of this chapter. So we want to read from verse 1 and see how far down we get. John's Gospel, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, When therefore... Now, of course, that word when therefore, it asks a question. We don't normally start a sentence or start a story or start a chapter or start a conversation in that sort of manner. When therefore... Well, really, the question that's asked, what went before? And what did go before, in fact, in the first number of verses of chapter 3, we read about how this religious man, now in chapter 4 we've got a stark contrast, but how this religious man, a man by the name of Nicodemus, came, I believe, under great personal risk, under the cover of darkness, to speak to, to see at least, and to speak to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's essentially what the opening part at least of chapter 3 tells us there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night. And we've that whole narrative of how the Lord Jesus Christ dealt with that individual at the very point of his need. But now we come to another chapter, another lesson, another thing for us to consider, because remember, every single word of God is pure. As we're reminded in the Proverbs, Proverbs 30, verse 5, that's really the context here that brings us and introduces us to chapter 4, when, therefore, the Lord knew. I have those words underlined in my copy of the Scriptures. In fact, of a date beside it, the 6th of October, just a few days ago, do you realize tonight as you sit in this meeting or as you even watch the feed in your own home, do you realize tonight that even though you might be hid behind the person with the big hat in front of you, and you think that preacher can't really see me, do you realize tonight that the Lord knows not only what's on the outward, but what is on your heart tonight? Doesn't verse 1 illustrate that? When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though, verse 2 tells us, Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples. And then we read about him stepping out and leaving Judea, verse 3, he left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. 
Verse 4 is of particular note. And he must needs go through Samaria. We'll deal with that in a moment. Verse 5, Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, we see his humanity here, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. I love the way the sacred writer gives us so much information in just a few words. Maybe you're saying you wish the preacher would do that. Every preacher under the sun, and I try to restrict this, try to hold back, try to cut this out. If you could say a hundred words, they'll say a thousand. Not so with the Scriptures of truth. Every single word, as I've said earlier on, is there for a reason. Every word of God is pure. Every word is there telling us something particular. It was about the sixth hour. And again, we'll come back to that. Verse 7, there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, he opened this conversation. He was the first to speak. Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. And then we're given more context. Verse 8, for his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which of a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans? Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. Well, that's piqued her interest. Verse 11, the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said unto him, Sir, that's the second time she's used that title, verse 11 was the first time, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now she still at this point still thought it was to do with the water. Jesus said unto her, and here he is, changing the tact slightly, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, in that saidst thou truly. The woman said unto him, and this is the third time she's used this title. A woman said unto him, verse nine, sir, 19, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship ye know not what. 
We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. And now the Lord lifts the lid just a little bit on his own glory. Look at what he says and how he says it even in the conversation here. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest thou with her? The woman then, look at verse 28. It's indicative here in the first part of this verse that she, for her, the penny had dropped. She knew it was no longer about the water. Verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way unto the city and saith to the men, look at verse 29. Come. See a man which told me all things that ever I did, is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. I'd love to read on, because it's in these next verses that we read about revival and how it came to Sychar that day. But for the sake of time, we'll end the reading there. Please let us still our hearts just before we come to this. Really, I suppose we could say final third of the meeting. As we come to this, the preaching of God's Word. You pray with me that the Lord would illuminate the secret page tonight, that He would open our hearts, that we might see secret and wonderful and hidden things. Out of His law, let us still our hearts. Let us pray. Let us do as the psalmist commands in Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still. That applies to you at home as well. Be still and know that I am God. Father, we thank Thee tonight for what we've been able to enjoy of Thy presence, of Thy breath even tonight, even here in the sanctuary and those even at home. And Lord, I pray that I would give special grace even for this final stage, this final part of the meeting. I pray, Lord, in thanks that it is through and by the foolishness of preaching that men, that women, that young people, that boys and girls are brought to Christ. And Lord, we're looking out at this warning from the pulpit here where it says, Woe is me! if I preach not the gospel. And Lord, I pray that I would give help tonight to the preacher. I need it. I'm weak. I'm nothing. But Lord, I pray also for help for the hearer. Because the devil's on many backs this evening, trying to steal away the good seed that is the Word of God before it even takes root, takes a place in the ground that's prepared for it. Frustrate the evil one. Help us tonight. Bless us tonight. And Lord, I pray that there may be saints following. Lord, it is for thy glory we pray these things. Amen.
You know, ladies and gentlemen, I must admit to you in this pulpit tonight that over this past number of weeks and indeed months, the Lord has impressed it upon my own heart, upon my own soul, more than ever before. And I'm saved a long time now. At the end of next month, I'll be 45 years of age, and I was saved when I was but a lot of seven. You can do the maths. Many decades I've been saved now. But the Lord has impressed upon me as I've read His Word. The Lord has impressed upon me even as I've dealt with individuals, for that matter, just how he deals with the individual. We often find it in the gospel records. Here is yet another one of many occasions of how the Lord Jesus Christ is portrayed for us here on the secret page, finding a way yet again to deal with an individual. So many times we find the Lord Jesus Christ singling an individual out of a crowd. This was not one of those occasions. In fact, we discovered in the previous chapter, we've thought about it just in brief, even before we read the first verse of chapter 4, about how one individual made his way at great personal risk, at great cost, to be able to come to where the Lord Jesus Christ was. That man steeped in religion, that religious man by the name of Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. But how so often we discover it to be the case of how the Lord Jesus Christ deals with the individual. In fact, let us, for a moment or two, pair chapter 3 and chapter 4, because Sometimes we can look at one occurrence and see, well, that's the way, what we see here, that's the way the Lord's going to deal with me. That's the way the Lord's going to deal with, with everybody. That's the way the Lord works. In fact, we see a lot of contrasts, a lot of things that we can bring out and see by way of comparison between the first 21 verses, essentially, of chapter 3 and this account that we've read together this evening from John chapter 4. You see, in John chapter 3, we read about how Nicodemus, and this might seem like a really basic point, it is, and it's something that means something today, but it certainly meant something in the Savior's day. Nicodemus was a man. He was a ruler of the Jews, a man of high office, a man of high estate. Here we have, verse 7 makes it very clear about this woman coming to where the Lord knew where she was going to be, where he met her, where he intersected with her, where he rendezvoused with her that day. He was a ruler of the Jews. This woman was a Samaritan. She, at that, was a particularly despised one, as verse 7 tells us. In fact, Nicodemus was one who heard and knew something about the Savior, made a beeline to where he was, and yet here in verse 4, yet another contrast, we read about how the Lord Jesus Christ went to her. Nicodemus was one who was particularly zealous, a ruler of the Jews. Here we have somebody at the other end of the scale. Why do I make that contrast tonight? Why do I bring that in tonight? Because I believe in churches up and down the country as well as those that would watch things online and brush past on Facebook or the other means that we use, I believe we have every category of sinner 
We have those that are ultra-Orthodox and ultra-religious. Maybe that describes you tonight. But even with all your religion and all your do's that you do, what must I? I was looking at that verse when I walked in here tonight. I would nearly have preached on these two verses in the wall behind me. Trust me, I nearly did change. But that verse at the very heart of that question that was asked by the Philippian jailer that day is really something that sums up society and humanity today. There is that desire and that thought, that inward thought, that there is something that we can do in order to merit our own salvation. That's where religion, or rather that's where false religion will always bring us to that point that there is something that I can somehow contribute toward my own salvation. Maybe you're in that category, or maybe you're over here where this woman at the well was, not only a Samaritan, but the sinner of the sinners. I nearly called her a lady there, but couldn't do that. Because of her history, because of her practice, because of her heart, we couldn't do that. And yet the Lord made a beeline to where she was. I don't want to dwell. I don't want to preach. I do want to preach tonight in John 3, but I don't want to dwell too much there because for the sake of time, we must move on to John chapter 4. Those verses that we've read, I want us tonight to walk a little bit further with the Lord Jesus Christ in our consideration this evening as He left the environs of Jerusalem behind in His way. It was the absolute pinnacle of religious pilgrimage. He left it behind because he must, verse 4 of chapter 4, because he must, in the words of Scripture here, because he must needs go through Samaria. He went to that place. He traveled to the, to the slums, essentially. He went to that place where no self-respecting Jew would ever travel to, would never go, would never be seen. If they did have to, by some reason, pass through it, they certainly would have scurried through it, never would have stopped. But he did all those things. And why was that? To come back to what we've already started, started out with at the very start. Why was that? Why did he do it? Because he had to speak to this individually, this individual. Let me ask, even before I move on, let me ask you tonight as an individual. You know what's so easy to take the Word of God that's preached? So easy to pass it on to someone else. So easy to take that gospel challenge and to say, that will be a great word, or that is a great word for them. That's our natural inclination to do that. Oh yes, preacher, I believe what you're saying. I'm sitting here. I'll come along to church. In fact, we've been coming not only to this church, but the old church for years and years and years. And I believe what you're saying. It's true what you're saying, but it's good for them. You know, we must beware, ladies and gentlemen, this scene. We must beware that when we're pointing the finger at somebody else, and John, I don't mean to point at you, we'll point on around to, to the door there, that there's always three fingers pointing back at ourselves. But what about you tonight? Where are you spiritually this evening? I want us to think about how the Lord brought salvation to Samaria on that occasion. 
I want us to think, first of all, about the Savior's schedule. We told you we'd come back to that fourth verse. Look at verse 3 and 4. He, speaking of none other than God the Son and the Son of God Himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, He left Judea and departed again unto Galilee. And verse 4 is there for a reason. Let me say that. Every verse, every word, every dot, every tittle, every single letter that you find in Scripture is there for a reason. There's nothing, here's a big word, there's nothing superfluous in Scripture. It's a big word that simply means that's not really needed. It's put in there to pad out. You remember I said what preachers do? You don't need me to tell you. You know what preachers do. To pad out, to fill time, to fill inches in their notes or whatever else. Not so with the Word of God. Every word is wed and is there for a reason. Verse 4 is most certainly there for a reason. He must needs go through Samaria. Now, there was nothing particularly remarkable about the route which the Lord Jesus Christ took on that occasion, him and his disciples. They were simply traveling, and I looked at all the maps, and I measured all the distance, and I looked at what would be the logical way to go as far as uh, the maps are concerned. They were simply traveling down from Judea to Galilee, as that third verse tells us. Galilee was about 90 miles north of Judea. Their journey would have naturally taken them through the land of Samaria. However, it is very interesting to note that according to many of the biblical commentators that I consulted, that the Pharisees would never have taken that way. That no, as I've said already, that no self-respecting Jew would have taken that way. Rather, they would have taken the much longer route round by Perea to specifically avoid any and all contact with the scum that they would meet there. And Tanya, I'm challenged whenever I think about that. Are there those that we avoid taking the gospel to? Are there those in the workplace? Are there those in our areas that we live that whenever we see them, our faces light up and we'll call them over and we'll make conversation and we'll make time to speak to them, whereas on the other hand, there are those that will cross the street and we'll put our head down and we'll pretend not to notice them. The Lord Jesus Christ while the self-respecting Jew would have went out of their way to go around another way, a longer route through Perea, that would have been the route that they would have taken, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I believe this tonight, and you think of yourself and what finds you here in this meeting tonight, the Lord Jesus Christ had a meeting, and I believe it, planned from eternity past that must have been fulfilled that day. That's the context that verse 4 comes to us in. He must needs go through Samaria. What about you this evening, dear friend? I don't know you tonight. I know some of you. Hello there. Good to see you. But I don't know all of you tonight. But let me tell you this, that the Lord knows your heart. As we highlighted already in the reading of verse 1. The Lord knows about you. He knows about every thought, every secret thought that you thought was secret at least. He knows every action. He knows every word that escapes your lips. And perhaps this very evening, this night here, is the very meeting that the Lord has planned to meet with and to deal with you tonight. Let me ask you tonight. You might know the gospel message inside out. If something happened to me and I dropped there where my coat is, you'd be able to come up and finish 
what I would, would you think I would say? But let me ask you tonight, would you not come to him? If you're not saved tonight, would you not come to him? If you're cold and hard and backslidden tonight, would you not come back to him? If you're relying on a false profession tonight, would you not come to him and simply pray, come into my heart, Lord Jesus, come in today and come in to stay? Maybe this very evening is that night when the Lord is speaking and he maybe has been speaking to you already. We've thought about the Savior's schedule. We'll move on and think about the Samaritan's situation. Think of the stark contrast, and we've thought about it at least in part, of this Samaritan woman that we find here. I was going, going to say lady again. She's not a lady. We can never stretch to those descriptions, but this Samaritan woman, on the one hand, at the bottom end of the scale, and the man that we come across in the first 21 verses of John chapter 3, Nicodemus. What a contrast we have here. You see, Nicodemus had absolutely everything going for him. But this woman was at the opposite end of the scale. Now, maybe tonight, you're not either at one end of the scale or the other, but you're, like the rest of us, somewhere in between. But for you, and this is what people will say to me in Northern Ireland all the time. I'll find this in Northern Ireland. I, I pastored for over four years in a Belfast church, and I come across this every single day, where people would have agreed with you when you explained the gospel to them. When you stood at the open air, I've seen people standing in floods of tears at the open air up and down the Woodstock Road. And you'll say to them, would you not come to the Lord Jesus Christ today? Oh, it's complicated for me. And then they'll go into some story about something that happened to their granda or their great-granda or their neighbor or, or, or some family friend, something, some time where they were stung or hurt or damaged or it was complicated. And that's the reason that they put up for not coming. And I discover that to be the case time after time after time, especially in our province where we've been steeped in the gospel for generations. For men and women and young people like yourselves, you can put yourself into whatever category fits there, when people like yourselves will say, yes, I agree with what the preacher said tonight, well, well would you not come and be saved? No, it's complicated for me. Or, or, or at some stage in life, I plan to come, but I have to clean up my act first. I would say to you tonight what Paul and Silas said to the Philippian jailer as he asked the question, and they didn't say, do it tomorrow, or do it the next day, or do it the, whenever we're coming back through Philippi again. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and the implication is there, believe tonight. He was at the very point of a sword that night, about to commit suicide, about to run himself through when the Lord, I believe, stopped him in his tracks, when the Lord sent his servants along to stop him in his tracks. Do you know why I'm here tonight? It's not just to do pulpit supply. It's not just because this happened to be the night that I had a free date whenever Mr. McIntyre asked me about a book. And I'm here tonight that I might speak, that the Lord might speak through us to your soul. Would you not come? You know your spiritual condition. Maybe those sitting around you, maybe they think, they believe the lie. They believe that you are saved and believe that everything's fine with you. And you know in your heart of hearts that you're pulling the wool over others' eyes. You've maybe even started to believe the lie yourself a bit. 
But he who is the searcher of hearts, verse 1 tells us, the Lord knew. He can see right through that outward facade, that mask that you wear. We've taken off the masks, but every one of us still wear a mask. Isn't that right? You see, this woman was nothing but a dirty, rotten, despised Samaritan. In fact, she was even ostracized from her own community. What do we find? What do we? I mentioned earlier on of how wonderful it is how the Spirit of God can tell us so much in just a few lines, a few words. You see, she was shunned. I believe it from what we're told here in the gospel record. She was shunned by the other women from her home city of Sychar. There's so much evidence that points to that. Drawing water from the well would have primarily been a, a task for the women, especially back then. It still would be the case today, but especially back then. And what they would have done, they'd have gathered up en masse and they'd have went down at the cool part of the day. They'd have went down either early in the morning or, or late in the evening, whenever the sun was low, but not fully down. The sun was low. They'd have went down chatting and all the crack and all the rest of it. They'd have done their job, come back up again, to keep out of the blurring heat of the sun, that I went in the cool of the day, that I went together. But the Spirit of God gives us information here, not just to pad out a few inches, but rather on purpose to let us know that there was something different about this individual, because she was there at the hottest part of the day. In fact, it tells us there at the end of verse 6 how it was about the sixth hour, and that sixth hour brings us up to when the sun is at its zenith, at noon. And she was there on her own. She was there on her own, and she was there toward the hottest part of the day. Now, why was that? She was not that lady that I almost called her two or three times. And I thought about that. I thought about how she came there on her own. I thought about how she came there at the hottest part of the day, at a part where people would have been seeking shade, looking to get their head under something to keep out of the sun. And there she was at the hottest part of the day to draw water. And the well was deep. We're not told that the well was... In fact, she says that about how the well is deep. It's hard physical work, hard labor, sweating and toiling in the heat of the day. And I thought about how she was isolated, how she was alone... And I thought about how the devil often works and how it is oftentimes the devil's ploy to isolate us and to make us feel like we're alone. So glad that the churches have opened up again. So glad that we're able to come together as Paul commands us, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a, ma as a manner of some is. Some think it's okay to sit at home and to worship at home, but we've been able to come together again. Maybe the devil makes you feel isolated. Maybe you're at home. Maybe you're at home right now watching this. You're not able to come out for whatever reason. Maybe to do with shift patterns. Maybe to do with health. Maybe to do with some other reason, some valid reason perhaps, of why you're not able to come out to God's house. And you feel like you're alone. You feel like you're isolated. And in fact, you are isolated and cut off from everybody else. Uh, that was the case with this individual. But the Lord meets and deals with individuals at the point of their need. Do you realize tonight, even if you're at home, do you realize tonight, and you know the loneliest place that we can be is in a crowd? We know that. Do you realize that even though you're sitting maybe in the most packed pew here, that even though you might be in that situation, it might look like you're with others, that the devil can have you making that you feel like you're alone. 
Is he speaking to you? Is he ministering to you? Is he challenging you tonight? What about you right now? You know, it's so easy to say, yes, I agree with everything that's been said. This is one of the lies of the devil. I agree with what everything that is said, but I'm going to come at some other time. In fact, we read of one that Paul dealt with who said about coming at a more convenient season. Let me tell you this. We never read anywhere else in Scripture about how that man came. In fact, that's one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. What if God's patience should weary with you? What about that warning that we read in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3? God said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. What about you in the meeting tonight? Maybe you're challenged. Maybe you know that every time you hear the preaching of God's Word, you know it's right, you know it's proper, you know that you should come, and someday you plan to come, but not yet. You know, effectively, what you're actually saying is you're saying no to God. If you're to go out through those double doors, turn right into the double doors into the car park and go home without the Savior, yet again, you've rejected the Savior. Would you not come tonight? The Lord Jesus Christ knew all about this woman. It tells us there, verse 16, 17, 18, 19, verse, those little group of verses of how the Lord Jesus Christ revealed to that woman how he knew all about her. Look at verse 17, the end of it. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. Oh, he knew all about her. Verse 18 goes on, For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that saidst thou truly. And the penny started to drop for her. She knew that he was a prophet. She knew that there was something different about this man. And let me say this evening that I would like nothing more tonight than to introduce you to this man. I cannot save you. No minister, no, nobody within the free church or any other denomination for that matter can save a single soul. All I am tonight is a signpost. In fact, that's what Paul and Silas were. In fact, that very term there, if you had the Greek up there, it would mean... Uh, what must I do to be saved? Before, at the earlier part of that verse, sirs, what must I do to be saved? The word there is actually Lord. He was looking to them as if they were able and would be able to save him because I believe that night, earlier on that night, they had an opportunity to speak to him in the quiet place, but he didn't have any time. He didn't want anything to do with it until he was stopped in his tracks by the great earthquake that the Lord sent. Let me ask you tonight, has the Lord sent something in your life to stop you in your tracks, to give you an opportunity to warn you? That's what he cried, Lords, what wilt thou have me to do? What must I do to be saved? And their answer, their reply was, don't look at us. Believe on another. Turn to him who it's our job as preachers of the gospel to declare unto you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Let me ask you tonight, would you not come? 
Would you not ask the Lord Jesus Christ simply to come into your heart? Oh, it's complicated. Oh, yes, that's the answer. I'll get back often. Oh, it's complicated. You know, I know what you're saying tonight, preacher, is right and proper and true, and I believe you, and I do intend to someday. But for me, it's complicated, and I have to sort out this in my life and that in my life, and we'll have to clean up our act first. What does the Lord say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. The Lord, it's wonderful how the Lord revealed himself to that individual that day. You see, John, there's another contrast here between here and John chapter 3. John chapter 3, I love the way the Lord goes right in. Verse 3, 5, and 7, I think it is, of how the Lord, even though Nicodemus used this lovely flowery language and talked about how uh, no one can do these miracles that thou dost, and there's something different about you, you're, you're, all this lovely flowery language to build the Savior up, the Lord Jesus Christ went straight in every single time and told that man exactly what he needed to know in about two words. But here we have this gradual revelation to this individual, because she was so different. He dealt with her tenderly. He dealt with her individually. He dealt with, and he deals with us the same. He deals with every one of us in a tailor-made fashion. Maybe he has been speaking to you of late. Maybe he has been revealing himself to you of late. In fact, the Lord Jesus Christ there started off this interaction with her. That surprised her for a start. And then he spoke on and he, and he used the illustration. And really, that's what it was, an object lesson of the water to reveal himself to her that day. Uh, but then, as we read, and as we stopped in the reading in verse 28, it was no longer about the water. She knew it. She knew that they were no longer talking merely about water, about H2O, but rather about eternal matters. He revealed himself to her in this way. Look at verse 19. Sir, I perceive, because of what he said, because of how he revealed himself, how he opened up to that individual, and she saw a little bit of his glory that day. I perceive that thou art a prophet. In fact, verse 29 this testimony that she had for the men of the city. She couldn't even go to the women of the city. To the men of the city, she said, Come, see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Look at the last part of that verse. Is not this the Christ? Has the Lord... Let me ask tonight, and as our time is gone, let me ask you tonight, has the Lord, is the Lord speaking to you tonight in this meeting? The Lord stopped that woman in her tracks that night, that day, high noon. Stopped him in her, in her tracks that day. Did a work of grace within her that sees her now in heaven's glory. In fact, used her to bring many. There was revival at, at that occasion, there was, but it was for a limited time. My spirit, God says, shall not always strive with man. I would have loved to read on into the end of verse uh, of chapter 4 about how, look at verse 43. There's a word of warning there. Now, after two days, now there was revival in Sychar at that time. There was many who came through that one woman at the very start. There was revival came. Many more. Look at verse 41. Many more believed because of his own word. He, she brought them to the Savior, and then they heard him speak because of his own word. But verse 43 is a very sad verse after two days. Two days. Because I believe sometimes the way we act, the way we behave, the way we talk, the way we think, the way we reject the Savior in meetings like this, 
we feel like, we act like, we behave like we have unlimited opportunities to come. And I've heard people say it so many times, I'll come when I'm ready. Let me ask you a question. Is he calling you tonight? Is he calling you now? Time is short, but eternity is long. I want you to think of the words of our closing hymn tonight. 232, it'll be on the wall, no doubt, and a second or two behind me. We're just going to sing that third verse. Because that third verse 